Welcome to the Warrior Goddess Revolution, a podcast dedicated to helping you get free, free of shame, free of fear, free of limitations, and free to become the woman you are meant to be. Let the inner revolution begin. Here's your host, Heather Ash Amara. All right. Welcome, everyone, back to Warrior Goddess Revolution podcast today. So happy to bring on Serena Hicks, who was one of our first in our first round of Warrior Goddess facilitators. Uh, we've met each other in Austin many, many moons ago. Serena is a biracial biz coach who believes that money making, especially for women and people of color, is a revolutionary act of reclamation and radical self acceptance. She's a native Texan currently living in Austin after a 10 year spent as a TV producer and event planner for MTV in New York City. Serena believes that everyday people can, will, and are already changing the world. I love this. Yeah. This is going to be such a good conversation. Yay. 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 So I would love, we've done a couple things together, but I would love for you to share a little bit about your background. And one of the things we're going to be talking about today is anti-racism and as as you were share, racial literacy and cultural competency. I love those two words. If you can explain those for everybody as well. Um, and why you're passionate about both. I think it's really good for us to talk both about education, spiritual community, anti-racism, slash wealth. I know that's mm -hmm. a huge thing, but mm -hmm. it's like my favorite. It's my favorite really to talk about because I think they're all so interconnected. So first of all, thanks for having me. Happy to be talking with you about this and then also meeting more of your community. Um, and yeah, anti-racism and wealth, like, and personal growth and spirituality, to me, they're all actual abundance work. And I think people love to talk about abundance and throw that word around all the time. But I'm like, actual abundance is actual belief that there's enough and that like more is coming, that we don't need to hoard. We don't need to like get, you know, never mind the word scarcity. We don't need to like measure it out that like we have enough and we will continue to have enough. And as it pertains to racism in the patriarchal culture that was built literally on the backs of others to serve very few um, at the disadvantage of certainly most people of color and uh, many, many, many white people who weren't landowners, if you will, who came over from Europe. Like, so it's like, we have this old twisted system that is the antithesis of what Warrior Goddess training talks about, what personal growth talks about, what spirituality is, anti-racism work. I'm like, it's all the same. So I love talking ad nauseum. So I'll just try to be concise and we'll, <laughs> we won't do a four hour podcast, but I could and I would. Just want to really easily, yeah. For ten yes. hours, like this is what we're gonna we'll do, do for part next year. two and part three for sure. <laughs> yes, like we'll just try to like we'll, I'll try, I'll try to be concise. So, um, as far as background, so I grew up in in East. Well, actually, I was born in Dallas. So my mother is white, she's a very pretty blonde woman, which feels very relevant based on growing up in Texas, where we worship blue-eyed blonde women, and we definitely did in 1978. And so <laughs> that is when I speak of the great white privilege I've had when you were the daughter of a very beautiful blue-eyed blonde woman in Texas. Um, not only do you notice it, you experience it. And I noticed because my father is black and I have black cousins and half black friends, of course, and also white friends. But because I ultimately moved through the world as a child and anyone who knows children knows how children know, honestly, they pick stuff up before we like socialize, don't talk about this or don't say that out loud. They know the things. And so like, even as a very young child, I can remember noticing, like if I went to service merchandise with my mom, we had a different experience than if I went in with my dad. And, you know, that's like a, huh. <laughs> not something I, you know, wrote journals on as a child, but I noticed. And so sometimes as a biracial half black, I identify as a woman of color. I don't identify specifically as black based on I think that I've had great advantages um, based on my hair texture um, and lighter skin, but also uh, one of those advantages is, is being Susan Kemp's daughter. <laughs> and it's, it's not funny, but it's like, yes, there's privileges taught and learned. And that's one of the reasons as we talk about anti-racism work, which I prefer, I did not make this up just so we're clear, but hearing when I've heard people talk about cultural competency 
racial literacy. It's like all the same. I just dig it because there's, I think uh, the focus is exactly what we do want, where I honor and let's not make it a bad word. It's not a bad word, my friends, ever. But anti-racism includes, you know, the anti and the racism. And I, I do love to be like, let's focus exclusively on what we want. And as it pertains to our anti-racist slash culturally competent slash racially literate work, doesn't mean we're just like, everything's fine, bypass, no problems. It means we say, hey, I'm, I'm learning racial literacy because just like reading literacy, it is an ongoing lifelong beautiful unfolding and endless learning adventure. Again, just like personal growth and spirituality. Nobody wakes up and says, I am complete. Oh, and at the same time, we are complete. <laughs> but, but no one wakes up and is like, I've mastered all of the things ever. And if they do, they're lying. So, so, so growing up and recognizing these things and recognizing the great um, privilege of being, I didn't use that word as a child, just so we're clear. But as an adult in these times, I've noticed um, you know, when and how white privilege was taught to me and how I used it to my advantage, which is one of the reasons that for any white listeners, I'm like, we don't have, we don't, we don't need shame. It's unfortunately taught to every white person, much like misogyny is taught to pretty much all of us on the planet, much like preference for, um, you know, able-bodied people, much like preference for tall, broad-shouldered men. It's taught to us all unconsciously, non-verbally, never mind our home environment. It's in the media. It's in the, on the cover of the magazines. It's on the cover of newspapers when we used to read those in paper. It's, it's just every image that we see. So it's like, even if you come from the most perfect and well-meaning parents and family of origin, which most of us don't, but even if you do, there's no way to avoid being force-fed the poison of racism, much like misogyny, much like, back to my abundance talk, scarcity, mindset, meaning um, like we're driven by fear. If you look at advertising, which um, I actually started at MTV News, which I love and brag about forever because I learned so much, but you know, watching the ads because I worked on election coverage as my first job. And I remember my boss explaining to me like, well, we have to have advertisers or we don't have jobs. Like nothing goes out without advertisers. And then like starting to notice that most ads are fear-based, not all, thank God. But like an easy example is when cell phones, children, if any of you young people are listening, cell phones were not exactly everywhere all the time until just a few years ago. Back when I, born in the late 70s, when cell phones were newish, apparently one of the first big ad campaigns was like, look at this, you can make phone calls anywhere, isn't this fun? And then that company found an ad where they showed like a family in a car wreck, but the mom had her bag phone, so she was able to call for help immediately and didn't have to wait for someone. And then they showed like an old person who was feeling lonely and they called their person on their cell phone. And so it was like, oh, that's where the, literally this guy's late nineties. I remember learning this at the University of Texas at Austin, but it's like that fear is what made people buy more cell phones. More than the like, works. yeah. And it's, it's just our primal brain, which is where I'm like, this is where racism comes from. The fear of there's not enough. So if we even just start just in America, which please forgive us for being America focused, but we're here. Like the idea ever that it was okay to enslave people, humans, and sell their children and who cares about your marriage and otherwise beat and torture them. Like number one is mind blogging and horrific. Number two, it was not that long ago. Number three, I love to remind people that hurt people hurt people. Trauma produces more trauma. So a book that Heather Ash, Heather Ash and I talked briefly about that I tell everyone, everyone who will ever listen, um, anyone who's like sort of interested in being a good um, citizen to all people, BIPOC, all. Um, it's My Grandmother's Hands by Resma Mannequin. The book's name is My Grandmother's Hands and the author is a black trauma therapist. It's literally his work and has been his work forever. Physical trauma therapy. Resma mannequin. And um, what he talks about so powerfully and explained is, you know, we can educate ourselves on how to be co-conspirators in a more equitable world. Even, even if we're talking about warrior goddess trainings, education is like half of the educate education. I made a new word. <laughs> education is half of the equation. It's how our brain can consume the information, but putting it into practice so that our nervous system responds in these new ways is like, that's a whole different thing. It's one thing to learn. It's another thing to actually execute. I think athletes give us a beautiful example of this. They learn things in their head over and over and over, but they do it in their body 
until the, the muscle memory is there. And so Resmaa Manikin talks about the trauma in black bodies, in police bodies, in white bodies. And what I didn't understand until he introduced the concept to me and the world, of course, but what I was like, oh, now, now this is making sense on a whole new level is if you think about the white settlers who came to the United States to you know, settle the United States, these were not casual and calm, privileged people. These were people who, you know, literally recently survived medieval times and um, the actual torture chambers that were considered normal back then. Most of them were not landowners, which is basically to say they didn't have a lot. So when they had the quote opportunity to go settle a new nation, it's just a no brainer. And yet these are people who've suffered great loss. Most of them, some version of torture and death and, um, Oh, what's the word that I want to say? Like starving. So these were traumatized people is my point. Like, oh, they didn't just come over here and, you know, do wild and horrible things to the people who originally lived here. And, you know, enslaving was not their first bad idea. Like they were acting out their trauma unconsciously, which is how we act out trauma. And so then of course, um, Y'all get the book. It's real good. But one of the things that he talks about, and thanks to neuroscience, which is so cool, like in the last 10 years, neuroscience is able to, I mean, what have we done? We learned more in the last 10 years than I think in the last 150 about how the body and the mind and the soul are so connected. But uh, trauma, as it is, as exists in our brain, when something elicits a trauma response, whether God forbid it's a car wreck or honestly, a middle schooler getting broken up with by their best friend, like whatever. And of course, just everyone unfortunately has 10,000 other examples, but actual trauma um, sears the brain. And it's like we either metabolize it consciously and very consciously work through our nervous system and work through it with a lot of love and compassion and a lot of exercises and patience, or it's passed down genetically for six generations. So exactly everyone listening to this right now, asking yourself if your parents either of their parents, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-great, your great-great-great, or your four-greats-grandparents, if any one of them ever had trauma, which the answer is, of course, unless they worked very proactively to metabolize the trauma with tools that literally didn't exist back then. You have it in your body, as I have it in my body, and I think that this is actually the part where I geek out, and I'm like, listen, we have tools and techniques and communities, like, However you guys are listening to this or watching this and you have like, we have books, we have online forums. There's the Warrior Goddess Facebook group. Like we have such tools for connection and transformation and growth that our ancestors, none of our ancestors had. And so it's like, oh my God, we are now equipped to do the work that they could not. Survival is a gift they gave us. It's so true. And, and Serena, when I first saw Resmus, I think I... I saw a video or something, but the first time I saw a video of him speaking, I started weeping because I was like, oh my gosh, we're going to do it this time. Mm -hmm. That was my feeling in my body of like, we've been doing anti, and humans have been really struggling around racism since yes. we started the country. Yes. yes. Right. And so even though there's been this whole narrative of white supremacy and that whites are better and that, and all the excuses around why we could enslave, you know, black people. Yeah. There's always been people that are like, um, hello, no, Bad idea. no, this yes. is not, yeah, not, not correct. Yes. Hello. Yes. And that's been growing, but nothing's been changing. But I really mm -hmm. feel like this piece mm -hmm. of getting that we're all navigating trauma yes. is what feels like it's going to free us. And for the, the white listeners, I'll just say that one of the things that we have to continue to move through is our shame and guilt our fear yes. of making mistakes, our desire to yes. be perfect yes, and, and just be willing to wade into the midst of this conversation, okay. of this ongoing so conversation. Yeah. So important what you said, like we have tools like we've never had before. And shame is, I think, yeah, I want to speak to the shame because shame is like a, the most toxic emotion, but it's also so wildly useful because it shuts anyone with a heart down. When we feel shame, we shut down, we freeze. We can't do anything because we're, we're, we're ashamed of ourselves. And, you know, you don't know what you don't know until you know. And so for anyone who, two things, like holding on to shame is damaging. So like get it out of your body. And, and number two, it's just, it's not too late. It's just what you said, Heather Ash, about, you know, the guilt and the shame. And I'm like, there's such a toxic cycle because they keep people trapped and quote, not doing anything. And then they feel even more guilt and shame. And 
just to be very personal, like that was part of my experience prior to George Floyd's murder, being a half black person long before Obama was in office and made it very cool. Like it's, I'm not white, I can assure you that has been made clear to me a billion times in my life. And I'm not black. Again, I have not just my mother, I have light skin. If you can't see me, I have long hair that I often blow out straight. So like, you know, it's my blessing and my burden, I can assure you, because it allows me to focus on my humanity more than my identity, but great white guilt was with me as well. Like I created an anti-racism school, an online course, an answer to in the summer of 2020. And, you know, there was a huge part of me that was like, I'm not allowed to do this. Like I'm not black enough. I haven't suffered in ways that some of my cousins and friends really have. And yet this is where I'm like, it's just personal growth. We each have like our own torch that we carry. We each can contribute only exactly what we can. And I know that some of my clients have ultimately hired me because they understand I'm genuinely not trying to judge or be like white people be ashamed much like, um, you know, my partner is a white man with broad shoulders who's tall. Like he, there's no reason to be ashamed of who he is. He's also at the exact same time aware that he has great privilege. (laughs) That If he walks into a room with many other people, what's always fascinating to me because he's sober now is the bartender is always like, hey, what can I get you? Like to him. And I'm like, right, the the tall, broad-shouldered white guy, nicely done bartender. But he doesn't drink, which is fun. And um, there's no reason for him to be ashamed of who he is. There's, There's no reason for it. It is not helpful. It is only harmful and creates feelings of separateness for exactly everybody involved. So like no shame. Yes. Yeah. But let's talk about this because yeah. we, you know, I've talked about this. What we're, what we see is often people, I think who don't want to be ashamed or don't want to feel guilty or don't want mm-hmm. to like, who are spiritual, who are mm-hmm. like, why are you bringing this up? Yeah. We don't need to go there. All yeah. lives matter. Yeah. It, we're all one. We're all love. Yeah. No, it's your response. That is bypassing. No. Yeah. My response is no. I'm like, that's that's just called like no problems here. Um, you know, I feel like it's like um I'm like queen of analogies. So like give me a second on this one. I feel like all right. Literally, I was speaking with a friend earlier today and he was talking about Viktor Frankl. So I'm sure I hope many listens listeners are very clear, but Viktor Frankl survived Nazi concentration camps. And if I remember correctly, lost his wife, his whole family, like survived Nazi concentration camps and wrote, um, oh, wow, I can't name Man's it. Search for Meaning. Thank you. Oh, gosh. Yes. It was like, you know, the yes. book that we're all Man's Search for Meaning. So he was talking about like, you know, we can manage our mind, much like in the spiritual community, just like I said, let's focus on what's good. Let's focus on what's working. Where I'm like racial literacy, let's keep the focus on where we want to go. And at the same time, he was saying like, listen, I can always manage my mind and always look for the positive. And that's an important part of who he is and how he has contributed. But he was also like, if anyone had given me an option to leave the concentration camp, I would have. And by that, I call it changing the circumstance. You know, where he's like, if that were an option, I would have been a masochist to stay. And I think as it pertains to the idea of like, all lives, it's all love, we're all one. It's like a trauma response of hearing so much pain and feeling such shame and guilt that it just slams us into the trauma response of no problems here, let's all just be good. And it's like, whoa, if a child comes running up and is like, look, my knee is bleeding. The only response as a healthy, sane adult is like, oh no, let's look at this. Let's solve this. Cause I know I have the tools inside of me, not necessarily to fix it, but to provide comfort and understanding and attention. What we would never do is be like, I've, I've totally skidded my knee before. No big deal. Bye. Like this isn't a problem. And anytime I hear any version of usually very highly energetically engaged, and so now is a beautiful time for everyone to check their body, check their nervous system. If you don't like what you're hearing, if you're feeling tense, if you're breathing really shallow, it's usually defensive. Defense is the first act of war. Nothing has gone wrong. We can just like pause and be like, oh shit, this is really hard to take in. And back to personal growth. We grow and evolve when we are willing to like, not just do our shadow work, but really like hold the gremlins that want to bite us in the ass and be like, hey, what are you? What is this? You do not have power over me. I have power over you. So like, as it pertains to all lives matter, we're all equal, everything's the same. Again, it just feels like a rejection slash trauma response from a nervous system that feels like it can't manage all of the yucky. And I want to, you know, offer like, there's so many tools. One of them is reading White Fragility, I think is so great. Everybody I know has read it, myself included. It's just so good. And 
you actually mentioned this earlier, so I want to speak to it again. Understanding shame is, is just, it's toxic. It doesn't, it doesn't create connection. It doesn't solve. It shuts us down. Guilt, same, same. And then the fear of making mistakes. So this was something we've talked briefly about before. And I'm like, listen, here's where it ties in. It will never be done and it will never be done 100% perfectly. Literally one of my clients right now is a liberation expert. She is a woman of color. Her entire life's work is talking about creating liberation, personal and otherwise, in academia, no less. And she's totally been a part of cancel culture. Again, as a woman of color, she's, she said something that people did not like. And so some people had lots of feelings and it had large negative impact. My point is not to scare everybody. Sorry, guys, don't be scared. <laughs> the point is, if you're doing it right, there will be um, missteps. There will be learnings. There will be growth opportunities. It's almost like if you go to, which I don't necessarily recommend, but sometimes I enjoy, um, a good workout, whether it's Orange Theory or even a yoga class, you don't go to be perfect. You go to challenge yourself and not over-challenge yourself, not stress her out. Like you're, you're not supposed to push yourself to the point of hurting yourself. You were meant to expand and challenge yourself and find your growth edge and then recover and get back at it in a couple of days. Yeah. And it's, it's so, it's so helpful to, to have the, the metaphors and the resources and we'll, we'll share the resources in the link. Cause those two books, Yay. I feel like everybody reads those books. Like that will give the context, why fragility yes. and my grandmother's hands. And there's a couple of things that I wanted to share. And I think this is an interesting one. So I just went and looked it up. So there's another human, his name was uh, Jacques Lustron. I probably pronounced his name wrong, um, who was also, he was a French revolutionist who mm. was uh, captured by the Nazis. And it went into concentration camps. And this book is called Against the Pollution of the Eye. One of the things that he talked about in there was this idea of hope. Mm. Okay, this is fascinating. He said, the people that had really high hope of like, oh yeah, we'll be out by Christmas. Oh yeah, we'll be out by Easter. Oh yeah, we'll be out by, those people died. Mm. Because he said, what happened is they kept facing reality, which is we're not being like, right. nothing's changing. Right? right. And so there was this, this like, everything will be fine, energetic. Mm. And what he said is the people that were able to open their hearts and go, all right, we're here. And what they started doing is they started reciting poetry to each other. Oh. Is that beautiful? And like deep, like grief poetry, or like oh. just anything that they remembered. And the book was so beautiful, because what it taught me and how it relates to what we're talking about is that that kind of false hope of like, if I just think right, if I'm just really positive yeah. and just like keep my energy really positive and high yeah. and everything is love, then it'll all go away. Evaporate. It'll yeah. evaporate. Like no. we don't want to go into the negative. We want to stay in the positive. And I'm like, sweethearts, we have to go through it. We have to open our eyes. And yes, your heart's going to get broken. Yes, over and open. over again. When you start yes. learning about what has happened to the indigenous people of this land, especially specifically United yep. States, when you start yep. really learning about slavery and, and people of color have lived with this heartbreak their entire lives. Yes. yes. And, and generations. To, generations. Yes. 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 And so many of the indigenous women that I talk to especially because I've talked to a lot of elders last year of like, how do you do this? Like, how do you have this much trauma and heartbreak? And they're like, we have community. We have each other. We have our connection to the earth. We keep coming back to that. And the difference of like, show up, bring in creativity and art, listen mm -hmm. to each other, be with mm -hmm. the heartbreak. That witness. It's when you said like just being with each other and I'm like, it's the witnessing and it's also what you articulated and I'm not even sure if you noticed it. So I want to make sure your listeners are noticing it. It's that the owning and holding space for what is because from there we can create what's next. And it's like the book that you were speaking of where it's like people with really high hopes and they kept slamming up against disappointment and then just died as opposed to those who were, uh, willing to be with what is or what was for them at that time. And then it's just sort of one, one decision at a time, next step at a time, which 
exactly back to anti-racism work directly. It's like the next right step is the best any of us can do because also things are changing and things are changing and they're, they're going to change. I mean, even as it pertains to people when they talk about their sexuality and how openly, which I think is powerful, we talk and understand, oh, misogyny. Like we all grew up understanding non-verbally that you know, men are supposed to be smart and tall and strong and all of these things that aren't even necessarily fair to them. <laughs> it's like, these are the things that we were all just taught. These are the myths of our culture that I think is so powerful that we're now like, wait a minute, does this allow us to really connect as humans? Or does this keep us in our otherness and us versus them and, you know, me defensive and you defensive and anyone defensive? And it's like, that's the opposite of everything that we're actually here for. Yeah. God, so good. I love and so it. So how do we navigate? Because mm. you mentioned cancel culture, which has gotten so... Mm -hmm. I'd love you to explain that term. Yeah, popular. Explain that term because a lot of people are, I think there's, there's the trauma response in the body. Yes. I'm going to get rejected. Yes. And also the experience of I have to shut this person down. Yeah. And like, how do we, you know, I just read this great book by Adrienne Marie Brown. Mm -hmm. We will not cancel us. Another great book. Ooh. Um, but I'd love to hear, so another resource, I'll yeah. add it in the thing. I'd love to hear your experience, like personal experiences that you have and also working with your clients around mm -hmm. standing up for what you believe in and how mm -hmm. you can, that can upset people. And how mm -hmm. do you navigate that? How do we navigate um, this in a good way? I think that this is where I geek out really hard as far as the personal growth and the connection. You have to be an evolved creature. Now, anyone who's listening who just said, well, I'm not really evolved yet. I can't, I can't be doing my anti-racism work yet. I'm like, stop it. That's just an excuse. So like, remember, we are a work in progress and a masterpiece at the same time. So it's such an invitation to be sovereign, be in service, to use some of the words that we were talking about last time, like to yourself and the world to know that like, if someone somewhere either misunderstands you or as it pertains sometimes when someone stands up to, you know, cousin so-and-so and is like, no, we don't use that word. And, and I disagree with you actually. And, you know, otherwise often facts, um, it's going to be uncomfortable. It's going to trigger trauma responses. It's exactly like racism requires silence and denial to thrive. So we, okay, this is the other thing that I say all the time that I just realized we haven't talked directly about. Um, we're taught not to talk about money. It's rude for the same reason we are taught not to talk about racism. It's rude. It has protected those in power. And by those, I mean, very specifically, mostly old, rich, white dudes from back in the day who literally used to own plantations. And that generational wealth has thrived for generations on the back, not only of black and brown bodies, but mostly poor white people as well. And I'm using the term poor with my air quotes, but point being, everybody was serving very, very few privileged people who created such privilege it's, you know, six, six generations later, going strong. All of that to say, we've been taught not to talk about money for the same reason we've been taught not to talk about racism, which is a really nice way of saying, just don't ask questions, y'all. Do not look behind the curtain. Just have your snack. Y'all make the best out of your life. Take whatever crumbs we give you and y'all just be happy. So if someone is confronting aunt, uncle, cousin, partner, coworker on, you know, hey, that makes me uncomfortable to hear you talk that way, or actually I disagree with you. It's going to be a shock to your system. It's literally going to feel terrifying. If it were comfortable, you would have done it already and we wouldn't be here. It's like just the facts. And it's like, you know, again, we have tools that our ancestors didn't like in the sex, excuse me, in the sixties. Um, I read this from Ibram X. Kendi wrote how to be an anti-racist. It's a very powerful book. And he talked about in the sixties, you know, very well-meaning white people and some black people changed the laws. They didn't change their hearts. And I'm thinking they didn't have these conversations that people are now like, okay, we have to talk about this. We have to be uncomfortable. We have to fumble forward. And Erica Hines is a black academic and anti-racism like leader. And she has the phrase, and I wanna quote her, Erica Hines, you've got to be humble and willing to fumble. There's no way to be the perfect anti-racist co-conspirator. There's no way to be the perfect progressive. And so I often talk about, I'm, I don't know why I'm doing sports analogies. I don't actually play them. I prefer dance, but like, let's use dance. If you're learning any form of dance, including hopefully soon, we're all at a wedding reception with loved ones and it's nice and safe at some point. Like if you're dancing and you're really dancing, you're gonna, you're gonna embarrass yourself at some point. 
and I don't mean you need to be drunk. I just mean at some point you're going to slip or trip or your shoulder's going to look like it's having its own little seizure. Whatever the deal is, it's like, yes, but that's part for the course. If, if one is like, I'm only going to dance as long as I'm making sure I'm doing it really right. And after I've done 20 years of training, one is missing out. And also they're robbing everyone else of their presence and connection. So if we're going to use the dance analogy, anti-racism work is not dancing, but it's not not in that there will be missteps. And so if, you know, a year from now, someone who's listening to this, who's like, I'm devoted to equality, I'll do whatever I can. If a year from now, nobody has told them they talk too much or they're too assertive or they're aggressive or somehow told them, quote, how they've done it wrong, I would be like, y'all need to do more. <laughs> it's, 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 it's not a goal, but it's a sign that you are showing up and trying and learning in real time when you receive feedback like that. So I had a different client, just a coach who's, you know, she's a life coach and um, she made an analogy that uh, someone who she used to work with who was black was like, I think this is totally racist and insensitive. So she did all the things that normally happens First, she just died in shame and, you know, ice in her veins and then reach out to me like, I did it wrong, blah, 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 blah. What do I do? And I want to say like, you know, it was like, well, and guys, please read White Fragility. Like there's, there's so many books that explain all of this. But at some point she was actually like, I'm afraid to tell her I pulled the post and apologize because I don't want her to think that I'm seeking like for her to pat me on the head. I don't want to burden her. I understand I've caused damage and I apologize for that damage, but I don't want to like elaborate because I don't want, I don't want to burden her with, you know, my, I'm sorry, I did it wrong. And so it was an interesting thing because in the end she sent a concise, you know, you do not need to respond to this. I am leaving this as a gift at your door. I want you to know understanding it hurt you and I learned some things and I removed it. And again, you don't need to respond. I just want you to know I didn't remove that post out of shame. I removed it because I learned. And now that I know better, now I'm effective immediately taking new actions. And it was like, I like want to cry now. Uh, her former coworker was like, thank you for this. Ultimately was saying, what, a, what an unusual response. You know, most people get defensive. And for my client, it was a real moment of connection. And for any white listeners who are slightly confused, I want to clarify, um, I always believe in an apology, but much like that went where it's left at someone's feet, where you were not requesting cookies or kudos or any like, see, I apologize. Look at how good I am. It's truly a, here's a mea culpa that I want to offer you. You owe me nothing. I just want you to know that I have learned, um, you know, since our last exchange. Yeah, beautiful. And it's, no, there's there's so much to unpack here. Like and, uh, and lifetimes. Like <laughs> lifetimes. Yes. Lifetimes. And here's one thing that I've really been been learning is that yeah, from from my experience, white woman spiritual platform reach. Mm-hmm. And really understanding because I have a platform and because mm-hmm. I have privilege, mm-hmm. the reason I have the platform is is partially white privilege period Mm -hmm. right and and that because I do have a platform because I do have a voice Mm -hmm. that I have an opportunity to give other people a voice as well that don't have the same that haven't had the same privilege that I've had period yay and in doing that my first response was okay how do we get as many women of color into the community yes Right. And, and that's, and I'm like, that's the right move. And I've been, been being coached. And as we started unpacking it, our co- my coach, Kimberly's been working with our organization. She's like, actually Heather Ash. And I don't even think she, she actually didn't do, she's, she's a coach. So she waited for me to figure it out. And at a certain point I was like, oh, that's actually not where we should be putting our focus. We should be putting our focus on making sure the community is safe. Yes. For people of color. And, yes. and we've done half of that. Like half of that, we have a safe space for women of color to meet that is, is separate. And that, and, but I'm like, oh, but I have to create safety mm-hmm. within the community. And how do we create that? But by educating and by having it so that there's that place. And this is why just everyone, please read White Fragility. Yeah. You know, yeah. For the, especially the white women or the women of color that want to understand what's going on in white women's heads. Or humans, yeah. but um, but there's this place of we need to go really slow, mm-hmm. and I'm a really big fan right now of like to separate out women of color, people of color, 
Mm-hmm. and white people because there's different things we need to learn right now and it doesn't mean good bad right wrong it's just right. there's literacy and i love your the, your words serena like there's literacy that we need to gain once right. we have that literacy which is painful to get to yep then we can hold better space yes because okay so first of all you just modeled beautifully okay best of intentions. I just need to get a bunch of black women in this community. And then you learned more. Like I'm genuinely not like, Oh, you did it wrong. I don't think you did it at all. The point is you took action. You're working with someone. So then when you had even more information, you're like, Oh, this is not actually what I, now that I have even more information believe is in the best and highest for this community that I serve. And so it's like beautifully modeled Heather Ash. It's, it's not about being perfect. It's about, oops, I have new information. So now I'm going to do new things. And then just what you said, which is where I'm like, we have to talk about it. And our nervous systems are so vigilant and high alert because only assholes are happy to be racist. Everyone else is like, I never signed up for racism. I'm not racist. And it's like, no, none of us signed up. None of us, none, none of us signed up for it. And it negatively impacts white brown and black women. Fun fact, we've talked about this before. I spend half of my time with my people of people of color clients, including myself, dismantling the internalized racism. What is possible for us? Nobody likes being disappointed all the time. No one likes being rejected. Like the self-protective mechanisms that we have to drop to expand our voice in business. So different things happening for different groups, if you will but it's all terrifying for each of us in our own nervous system, which is where I'm like, yes, I actually agree with you where it's like, okay, let's not separate to separate, but let's separate to settle our nervous systems, really nourish ourselves so that when we're reconnecting, we're not defensive and we're not high alert, vigilant nervous system that's stuck in the primal brain of fight, flight, freeze, or fawn. So well said and so well modeled. Thank you. Cause it's just that it's like, oh, by the way, I have privilege. I'm going to use it. I don't have to feel shame and guilty about it forever. I can just be like, okay, how am I going to make this helpful? Somewhat helpful. It is by the way, but like, how am I going to make it a fuel? Yes. And I think that piece of, for all of us is that it's not something we're going to fix right away. And this is something else I talk to, Mm. and especially white women, like people of color more like, uh, yeah, we've been dealing with this for a long time. You know, (laughs) like, hello. Yeah. welcome. Welcome. We've been here. Um, but that place of like, how do we stay sustainable for the long term? Yep. How do we understand that this is generations in the creation and it's going to yes. be generations in the undoing? And there's been yes. people before us undoing it. Yep. Yep. And there will be people after us undoing it. And so, yeah. how do we do our piece? I think radical responsibility. And I think it's an identity shift. Like, I think everything comes down to identity. So like identifying, oh, I'm totally racist based on I grew up on this planet and I have been force fed racism, no matter what color, again, black, brown, or white, we've all been force fed. The able bodies are better and tall men with broad shoulders are better and misogyny and racism. And we are all, well, many of us are doing our work to detangle all of that programming to be like, I'm not sure that's acceptable. But we have to proactively be like, hey, wait a minute, let me see what's been running around unconsciously unchecked and just sort of unsupervised, just as you said, or it's just a myth that like, well, we've never questioned it because our great, great, great grandparents, all of them experienced different versions of what we're still untangling. So I think when the identity shift is like, oh, okay, we're all a little racist based on <laughs> we received racism, whether we wanted to or not then the question doesn't shift to like, am I good or am I bad? Am I doing it right or am I doing it wrong? But rather, okay, what can I do? Yes, exactly. What can I do? And and that, you know, just to, to emphasize again, that doing this work of anti-racism or racial literacy is mm-hmm. for everyone. Yes. And this is a something else that I think we can fall into is, is uh, especially as for, for white women. And I say women just because I should say people for humans, for white humans, white we'll bodies. Humans, yeah. That's yeah. yeah. White, white body bodies. People. Yes. <laughs> yes. Is, peoples. peoples is this idea that we're doing it for you. We're doing it for yeah. the people of color. Yeah. No. no. And that whole yes. savior, right? So mm-hmm. no. no, Nope. I think it's, you're doing it 
to shift from a scarcity, there's not enough for me mindset to an abundant. I cannot tell you how many times, especially when I first started chatting with people and talking about anti-racism work in last summer, that someone would explain to me how not racist they were, except this one time they didn't get a job or they didn't get the college position because a person of color and affirmative action. And I'm like, okay, here is the perfect example. You just got beat. The recruiter who clearly was racist may have told you you didn't get the job or you didn't get the position based on the person of color. Let's just be clear. They were clearly being racist. <laughs> Instead of just saying, we didn't choose you. Because in every business endeavor I've ever been in, usually they choose who they want to choose, even when it's a must hire, even when that person sucks. The point is, somehow it always works out. So it's like, you know, they're like, no, I'm definitely, you know, but this person, ultimately the idea is this person took something that was mine. And it's like, okay, friend, what is yours can never be taken from you. So if you're functioning from the point of view that what is meant for you can never be taken from you, that job was never yours or that position in the PhD program was actually never, never meant for you. And how different is life if we have this radical responsible, like, well, yeah, that was never meant for me. Literally, I was being guided to another thing as opposed to shaming and blaming or feeling robbed. So it's like, yes, the anti-racist slash racial literacy slash cultural competency slash abundancy slash money-making work is to understand what is meant for you could never be taken from you. And so at every opportunity, and this is for people of all colors, but including if we're saying white humans who sometimes are like, but you know, it's about setting them free. I'm like, no friend, it's about setting you free. It's about you recognizing your agency, your capability to create the life that you love. Um, sans any idea that, you know, oh, this job is going to them, or if this, then that, or all of these racist ideas, basically. <laughs> There's no other thing to call them, but I'm like, it's the racist ideas that if we distill them down, they come down to some version of, you know, if they get that, then I lose, like, I may not have enough. I may not have a job. I may not have housing. I may not have school. My kid won't get in. My kid won't get. And it's like, okay, but if you actually fundamentally believe that you have enough and you will always have enough and that you are always guided and supported, then, you know, if someone else's kid gets into the position your kid wanted, you comfort the shit out of your kid and you let them know that like, okay, we're going to grieve and we're going to move right along because that wasn't meant for us. It's not they took this from you or they got an unfair advantage. It's a like, all right, well, that's what happened there. Okay, let's move on. So I do think it's freedom for everyone as it pertains to white humans. It's freedom from the illusion of separateness. It's freedom from the physical fear in the nervous system if and when you walk into a room where you're the only white person. I've heard that story, including from my mother. Different for her, but you know, where she's like, oh, I was the only white person, da da da. And it's like, you know, many white people know that experience of being like, I was the only white person in the room. And I'm like, welcome to my life. <laughs> welcome to every person of color's life. Like it's called normal. And yet you can notice your body feels a little uneasy. That's just a human nervous system that is unsettled as it pertains to people that don't look exactly like you. And so it's like, yeah, when you really do that inner work, you set yourself free. You can genuinely feel welcome, safe, settled in any room not just in rooms where people quote, look like you. And that's also gonna ripple out and affect everyone because that's my fantasy slash dream for all of us on the planet. <laughs> whatever race you identify as, whatever body form or sex you identify as, that you can walk into a room and not genuinely scan it and look for worries, which is not uncommon, which is not okay. <laughs> like this is the work we're doing. Yes, yes. And it is, it's noticing so much noticing what's happening in our own bodies, mm -hmm, separating it from mm -hmm. the stories, mm -hmm. from the, the, what we've learned and continuing to come back to how do we want to be in relation? Mm -hmm. How do we want to be in relationship to each other? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I love this. One of the books that, that you mentioned that you're reading right now is breaking the habit of being yourself. So good. So good. Whoa. Joy Dispensa, so good. So yeah. good. And isn't this the work that we're, I believe, mm -hmm. if you're on a spiritual or healing path, mm -hmm. you know that you're dedicating yourself to shift mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. you're in relationship with yourself and how you're in relationship with the world. And mm -hmm. how we're in relationship with 
ourselves ripples out to how we relationship to everyone else. And this is another way yes. that anti, for me, anti-racism is connected to everything. You know, some people, yes. have, like you had said, like, well, I just want to do my spiritual work and then I'll get to this other thing. Yeah. Or yeah. how do I do all of it? And like, <laughs> it's all connected. Yes. It's all connected. Yes. It's all mm -hmm. fundamentally woven together. And so mm -hmm. breaking the habit of being yourself mm -hmm. is letting go of all the agreements mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that we can mm -hmm. show up with each other. But we have to use our bodies mm -hmm. as a guide to understand, oh, I'm, my body's upset, my body's scared, my body's stirred mm -hmm. up. And also to look at the stories. What did I learn? Yeah. What did I learn and, and how am I holding that? And to learn how to be more skillful, yep. I think with the heartbreak, yep. with the grief. God, yes. That's such a powerful reminder to me. So I want to definitely share it with your listeners. Like heartbreak never feels good. It just breaks our heart open. It creates space for more. It's literally how we expand, how we hold more space. And like, you know, it's not the most fun we're ever going to have. But I fundamentally think our world is better off than when it was, you know, this time in May last year of 2020. I hate why, but I'm also like, all right, sometimes the universe requires, you know, really, really yucky, horrible tragedies for our next, it's an invitation for our next collective, like, wait a minute. This is problematic. I'm not okay. To your point, so many people had such physical responses in their body that like the body was screaming the alarm bells of like, I'm ready. I'm ready for this shift. Status quo, like it doesn't work anymore. I'm ready for the next. And that's the part where I geek out all over again. It just feels like there is a sacred rite of passage happening for humanity. Like we could all list all the things that upset us and aren't great, but I'm like, we have tools like never before and people are leaning into their courage like never, never before. And um, I specifically remember noticing in the summer of 2020, like we have rounded a corner. I'm not saying we're done. We're never done. We were really never done, but it was, it was like a noticeable shift of like enough people are agitated and not okay. You know, in a way that is actually about seeking connection, as you said, and authenticity and, and us being like, let's be better. Cause that means all of us and all of our kids and all of our neighbors are ultimately better. And it does feel like this next layer of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Like we had, like you said, in the 60s, the laws changed. Yes. The beliefs didn't. Yes. And people meant well. That's the trick. People yes. meant well. Yeah. And, people and I think people... seriously thought this is all that needs to happen. We just changed the laws finished. and we're good. Totally. Totally finished. All set. Except all of the laws weren't changed and all of the hearts weren't changed. And so like we talk in anti-racism school, black men being shown as perpetrators of crimes on the nightly news, like totally out of proportion, like exponentially more often than white men. And an example that I love and hate is so often you'll see like, you know, if a black kid gets in trouble, you'll see their mugshot. If a white kid gets in trouble and we're talking college kids or college athletes, you'll see the white kid in his like suit and tie in his college, you know, picture. And I'm like, you had the opportunity, that person pointing out this is a collective problem, <laughs> like that editor could have grabbed, you know, the black college kid in a tie, but instead was like, we'll use the mugshot for, let's be real, unconscious reasons. That's what they've seen in there, you know, so they're just repeating what the newsroom has always done. And it's like, oh, okay, let's fix everything. I just feel like the universe was like, hey guys, you guys are a hot little bit of a mess right now. So we're just gonna like amplify it and I'm gonna give you options. And I'm, I'm grateful that so many of us were like, hey, we'd like to exercise our options now. Yes, we're ready. Yeah, we're ready me too. Me too. It is, it's a phenomenal time. And I have a lot of hope and a lot of sorrow and mm -hmm. heartbreak mm -hmm. and, and excitement. Like what a mm -hmm. time. And if we can not then bury it again like okay good let's make it good and if we can also yeah. not demonize like we're yeah. in this interesting place right now and i was just thinking about the me too movement because it's all happening mm -hmm. simultaneously right mm -hmm. when also women's voices are coming out and they're like uh excuse me this doesn't work any longer no, no. it used to we're over it mm -hmm. we're over it yeah yeah so mm -hmm. okay we're over and there's it's we have to be just mindful that the pendulum can go all the way to the other side, which is now we'll demonize right. everybody. Right. Um, 
Mm-mm. No, thank you. Know, you. In all cases. And so to just mm-hmm. watch like our tendency to want to go the other way, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And how do we stay our, how do we hold compassion? This is this something is that I'm exploring right in. now. Right? Yeah. How do we hold the compassion of that there's going to be some extremes? Mm-hmm. Period. And we can be in the middle. I think this is where your work is particularly important. It's like people want a checklist, how to be anti-racist. Give me a checklist. I want to do the things and I will do them right. Much like, like, I want to be, you know, men are like, I want to be helpful to women or what everyone wants a checklist. And this is where I'm like, there is no map for where we're going. You talked about body as guide. Exactly. Like we all have to check in a billion times and do our work. Cause to your point about not wanting to get it wrong. Sometimes people, especially as it pertains to anti-racism work, love to like, I'm talking about exactly everyone of every color saying like, and so-and-so is doing it totally wrong and cancel culture, meaning like everybody tell them no and unsubscribe and never buy their stuff. And it's like, no, that doesn't get us anywhere. That actually only raises the stakes in our nervous system for like, don't do it wrong, which means just don't do it. Don't show up. And so I am opposed to cancel culture as it pertains to most everything. Always there's some exceptions, but I'm like, it just feels like an opportunity to grow. And to your point, like if a man has done things that I don't agree with, I'm not happy about it. I'm not going to be like, no problem, Bob, do better. But I'm also like, if there is a sincere and deep apology, I am willing for us to be the kind of culture that's like, all right, let's give Bob a measured chance. He doesn't get to be at the front of the line necessarily. Like We can let him earn his place, but to just sort of have this idea of like, well, Bob fucked up once and we've now canceled him forever always. I'm like, well, this is why people hide. This is why people hide their mistakes. This is why people point fingers at other people. It's like, we're right back to the fear that creates separateness, creates hiding. And, and I'm like, no, 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 that's, no. <laughs> we have tools and compassion for ourselves and others. And this is right back to like, hey, if you're doing it right, at some point, someone's gonna tell you you're doing it wrong because not all subscribe to the, here's exactly how we do it. There's some fundamental things that we agree on, but there are definitely, as you said, extremes in every direction. So it's like, all right, one of them might find one of the things you say someday and it's just going to be like, cool, thanks, bye. (laughs) It's just got to be, it can't be a reason to stop. It can't be a reason to shut down. Absolutely. And it's a beautiful way for us to get more centered inside of ourselves with what's important Mm -hmm. to us and understand Mm. that the way that we choose to navigate in the world, the, the, the way that we choose to explore and the places we're going to make mistakes, that there's always going to be people that are like, you're doing it wrong. I mean, I found this because I had, (laughs) and I know all of us have this experience, but I would have the experience of women of color, people of color being like, you're doing it wrong. And white women, you're doing it wrong. You're not doing enough. Why are you not doing enough? You should use your voice more. Okay. So I had that. And then I had, of course, the white women going, why are you bringing this in? And I still do. You're Mm -hmm. being political. I'm out of here, you know, done. Um, And so, and I had to, for a while, I was like, I uh, 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 Uh I had to get really quiet and just go, okay, I'm not going to do it right. Somebody's always going to be upset. I'm going to be too much or too little. Yep. Yep. This is true in life, right? Yep. Yep. So knowing that, can I open my awareness to listen, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. to not just shut out and go, you're, you know, you're wrong. I'm right. But to listen, to hold that space and also to take actions based on what I felt like was right. Mm -hmm. And I mean, there were literally days where I would sit and like look through Instagram posts and go, okay, is there one that I want to post that feels in alignment with me? Mm. And I spent hours, Mm. hours, because I'd be like, is this a good post or is this going to get me in trouble? Mm-hmm. And does this feel right to me? Does it? And it was fascinating to just go through the process and get more and more comfortable with, I'm willing to do it wrong. That is. I'm willing to make the mistakes. I'm also willing to not take action for a while so that I can find what's true for me. It doesn't mean I'm not taking action. You've taken lots There's of There's so much but... happening behind the scenes. Yeah. You know, and sometimes people are like, why aren't you doing more? And I'm like, you have no idea. And I'm not rushing and I'm not hurrying and to I'm impress. And I'm not rushing. And I'm this not giving not optics. Yes. Yeah. And this exactly. Isn't optics. This isn't optics. Exactly. Exactly. This is an actual and that's internal shift. That I, yeah. And I think that's something that's really, really important because it's so mm-hmm. easy to get caught up and I have to do the optics right. Right. And I'm like, fuck the optics people. Good. 
Yeah. Right. Okay. Also good because you're right. Number one in service, number two sovereign. And it's like, when we stop worrying about the optics, like you have to be sovereign and you have to be listening to yourself and you have to be willing to do it wrong. Not as a goal, but like, all right, let's, let's, let me tune in and let me see what the next right step is. And it's like, mm, but that's the most powerful and magnetic and also just powerful as in creative force in the universe when we're willing to like, let shit settle and then be like, okay, what's what? And especially, like you said, you know, sometimes people, everyone was telling you how you were quote doing it wrong. And some people like hurry, hurry. And it's like, no, I'm not hurrying. I'm actually shifting. I'm actually changing inside and then changing like my practices and my business in that order. So like sit tight. <laughs> it's, it's that. Mm. Oh, so good. It's so good. Mm-mm-mm. And so what is one thing that mm-hmm. you are really excited about right now for you personally? Like what's your edge right now and your growth and your delight? Oh, ouch, ouch, ouch. That's it. It's literally that. There is a major um, like rearrange, reorg. And um, I think that I keep drawing the letting go card. And I'm like, there is so much that I'm letting go of. Like even I'm working with a health coach, which might sound vain and hilarious and it is, but it's also like, no, but it's, it's like being in concert with my body and noticing what foods really nourish me. And like, it's just letting go. Cause I have all these stories about, you know, what I should or shouldn't eat and, da, 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 and to be like, actually trash can nachos nourish me about one day a month. Do I recommend them? No. Do I like them about one day a month? A lot. (laughs) It's like discovering like, okay, again, letting go of these old ideas, like nachos bad or, you know, health food is broccoli and salmon. I'm like, yeah, totally is. Also, sometimes it's not for me. Um, So I'm really excited about creating and I'm making faces. I don't know if people will see me, but I'm like creating because I feel like, um, I feel like my business is my playground and I love my family and friends, but I feel like, you know, my physical space, like there's so much right now, even my hair, I'm like dying to go see my hairdresser. Can't wait. Can't wait. A couple more months, I think just for like, um, just because I feel like, um, I'm probably going to cut eight inches of hair, which is a lot of hair, but it just feels like that's the letting go. Beautiful. And it's such a just incredible joy to witness you recreating yourself. Thank you. Over the years. Thank you. It's fun. It's all coming back together. Like lately, it's interesting to see the trajectory and for any listeners, like I'm 42 years young. So like not brand new, but like got a lot hopefully left. And it's just fun to suddenly be like, oh my God, all of this was always just leading me to this moment. And I feel like that's true for all of us it's just really powerful when we like stop long enough to take inventory and be like, Oh, yay. <laughs> this is true. Yes. It's all connected. Mm-hmm. It all. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it feels that it feels like there's this, this beautiful integration that so many of us mm-hmm. are going through right now. Mm-hmm. And that the p- pandemic has opened the space for that mm-hmm. for more integration, for more mm-hmm. stepping back and looking at what's connected. What do we want to disconnect from? Yes. What are we really claiming? It's really yes. beautiful. Thank you. And what is one last piece as we start to close that you would like to share that you feel like maybe we didn't cover or that mm-hmm. is a, a message that feels really important to you? Um, I think for any, for I'm going to speak actually first to your black and brown listeners. I, I just want to say again, read Resma Mannequins, My Grandmother's Hands, if you haven't already because I think some of the most powerful work that I've witnessed, experienced, facilitated, and experienced, I'll say that part twice, is recognizing some of the internalized racism. I say again, all day, every day, I'm like, we've all been given the poison of racism. None of us signed up for it. So being, for all black and brown listeners, I'm like, for sure, like, we have very different experiences, but like doing your work to um, almost surgically remove some of the traumas that, again, you never signed up for, will set you free. And then certainly for white listeners, being proactive about, you know, finding 
the books and watching the shows and not just talking unquote safe and comfortable circles of like, here are my other white friends and we're talking about how we read the book by ourselves, but really putting yourself in spaces for challenge and noticing discomfort and recognizing discomfort is really just a doorway slash opportunity for me to learn something. Like what is bubbling up that my nervous system is screaming like, stop it. And instead of being like, it must be bad, being like, well, what is this? What message? is actually like ready for me to like come receive it. Mm, thank you. So, so helpful. Yeah. Thank you. So Serena, I'm so grateful for you and for all the work that you're doing. Thank you. And sharing in the world. And thank you for your your compassion, your presence, your gentleness, your fierceness, all of it. <laughs> and <laughs> thank you. More conversation. More, more, more. Thank you so much for having me. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we'll share all the information of how to reach out to Serena, all the book links, all the stuff in the show notes. Blessing. Thank you. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share it with a fellow warrior goddess. If you felt fully empowered and inspired by what you heard today, we want to know about it. You can share your feedback by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We thank you for your support. It's the fastest way to fuel the revolution. To learn more about the Warrior Goddess Revolution and other Warrior Goddess offerings, visit us at www.warriorgoddess.com.